And so Mike, Mike would challenge me and say, Hey, you know, like for one of my ideas, he'd be like, he'd be like, I got it. You know, save the earth, save the earth, blah, 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 blah. At the end of the day, you have to make some fucking money. Otherwise you yeah. don't have a business, yeah. right? Yeah. Like you yeah. can yeah. have the loftiest goals and that, but if it fails, like, you know, you're done. Without economics. Right. And so, and so. Welcome to the Into the Wilderness podcast. Some of you may remember that a couple of months ago, we teamed up with Tecovis on a show uh, to win a pair of their Stockton boots, which are the same boots that I wear all the time. Well, they are partnering with the show again as we present an ongoing series of epic stories from people who use their gear in the field, have dirt on their boots, and really live with nature. And in the first of these, we're going to speak with Matt Skoglund. He is the founder of North Bridger Bison. I had the privilege of going to his operation just a couple of weeks ago. And here we dive into regenerative grazing through his bison herd and how he is really reconnecting people with their food. Matt even throws a few jabs towards the plant-based food debate. It's a fascinating discussion and it was a pleasure to spend a day with him. If you want to read more stories about Tecovis or stories that we've done in conjunction with Tecovis, we will have more going live on the Modern Huntsman website, which is modernhuntsman.com, in the coming months. Or you can also visit the Outpost section of the Tecovis website and check out their boots and their new range of clothing. And just before we get right into it, it's important for me to remind you all that the latest volume of Modern Huntsman is now shipping. It is the water issue. There's some incredible articles in there. So if you don't have your hands on a copy, head over to the Modern Huntsman website and get yourself one. Uh, preferably, add yourself as a subscriber because then you will be one of the first people to get a copy when the new ones drop. Uh, and of course, lastly, I need to thank my Patreon supporters who have stood by us all these years. And in the top tier this week, uh, we have Colin Knight, James Marchington, Mark Zbrowski, Richard McNeil, Richard Stevens, Ronnie Speakman, Thomas Cameron, and the team at South Ayrshire Stalking. If you would like to support the show, head over to patreon.com forward slash Byron Pace. Matt, welcome to the podcast. What a privilege it's been in to go out with you today and stand in the sagebrush looking at your bison. What an incredible place. Oh. E explain where we are. In, in, in terms of the context of the world, we have a global audience here. So explain where we are. Sure. So we are in Southwest Montana. We are about 30 miles Northeast of Bozeman, Montana on the West side of the Shields Valley. Um, yeah. About, I don't know, hour and a half North of Yellowstone National Park. Um, Most people will know Yellowstone. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's beautiful. Like you said, sagebrush step country. Right here it is, but the Shields Valley, spectacular place. You've got the North Bridger Mountains on the west side, the Crazy Mountains on the east side, and very open uh, country in between the mountains. Just, just spectacular. It is breathtaking. The sun has literally just dipped over the horizon <laughs> as we're starting this podcast. We've been shooting stills here all day. Also about... 25 minutes from my house. So yeah, Matt I and I are neighbors and we're, we've only hung out <laughs> twice in the last year. So we're working on that. <laughs> now, we're going to be talking primarily about what you're doing here. And we're going to be talking about bison and regenerative grazing. But before we get into that, because uh, it was very clear by the enthusiasm in your voice when I arrived here, the first thing you wanted to talk about was not your bison, but salmon. <laughs> Tell me about like why. why? And it, was, it wasn't just salmon. It was Atlantic salmon. Why? You know, I... I um I fell hard for fly fishing in high school 
and um, it was have been lucky enough to fly fish for Atlantic salmon in a few different places. And I have a very, very dear friend who is this amazing chef, Jeremy Charles in Newfoundland. And I've he's taken me to Newfoundland and to Labrador. And, and before that, I'd fished once in Scotland and a couple of times in Ireland. And I think just the, you know, in, 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 in America, North America, Pacific salmon, the five species of Pacific salmon get so much attention, right? Like Alaska as they should, it's like amazing. And most people don't even know that Atlantic salmon exist and that like New England used to have, you know, zillions of Atlantic salmon. Um, and so I just, I don't know, I guess I'm just kind of, kind of fascinated with the fish and, um, and the fact that, and, 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 you know, they're, they're facing lots of, lots of threats, um, both in North America and in Europe where they, you know, uh, there used to be a lot of them and now there's not a hell of a lot less and they really face, is, face yeah. a lot of threats. So, and yeah. you, you've been to my home country. Yes. I, yeah. How long ago was that? That was in uh 2006 that, okay yeah so, so 15 15 years ago you need to come back yeah where did you go um we stayed near the town of nairn yep and fished the river findhorn the first two years of my life were there wow on nairn yeah that's crazy in there it was amazing it was it was uh yeah like i mean just the i mean the 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 river, the countryside, the landscape, the whole thing was just surreal. And there's just something about like, you know, fishing for Atlantic salmon that, you know, knowing that they're, I mean, it's very, it's very low odds, right? So you're just, you're hoping for a tug. Sadly, increasingly low odds. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but to know, I, I find like swinging wet fly is just like very meditative, therapeutic. Like you just get into a rhythm and like, you know, slowly work your way downstream and knowing that on any cast, you might hook up with this like amazing, powerful fish from the ocean that's come mm. up the river. I, just, I don't know. I just think the whole story is really, really cool. Amazing. Well, you will have to get yourself over to Scotland at some point. So, I can yeah, show you so, some of the spots. I, I would some love, spots. Oh man, a little, little tough right now, but at some point I would absolutely love it. So as I said, when in the very brief intro, we were walking with bison out here. Tell me your backstory because I, Tyler, I think, told me you were a lawyer. Yeah. So how does how does a lawyer end up as a mountain man of the sagebrush step with a herd of bison? Fair question. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's a it's a it's a obviously a um, winding. It's been a winding path to get here, and yeah, I mean, it's kind of a it's just a you know everyone's got their own story, right? And yeah. so mine is. I um just love I've always loved nature and the outdoors ever since I was a little kid. I was born and raised outside Chicago. Um and uh eventually, you know, I went to college, went to law school, it'd be huge interest in environmental conservation. Um and fell fell hard for the West and 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 then uh you know, fell in love with Montana in college, did some big road trips out here after college and in law school. And, um, so Sarah and I got married in 2008 and quit our jobs and moved to Montana. It was just a, a pure lifestyle decision. Okay. But pause for a second. Yeah. I want to understand. So you, you clearly that this entire, like earlier part of your life had this fascination with, with conservation and nature. So what were you doing in, in law? Was it related at all? No, I, no, I, when I graduated from law school, I clerked, um, for a federal magistrate judge in Chicago for a year, this amazing guy. And then I spent two years in the general litigation group of a large law firm in Chicago. 
um, which I, I, I knew wasn't for me long term. It was it, it was a good experience. There's some great people there, but I was trying to figure out what what the next step was. And so I thought it would be for at one point environmental law, but ultimately decided but this that is what I was imagining. Yeah. Yeah. And I ultimately decided that just the legal world was just not for me. Litigation wasn't for me. Okay. And um, so when we moved here, I had applied for a job with the Natural Resources Defense Council, the NRDC, which is a large environmental group, and um, hoped I'd get it. Didn't know if I'd get it. Is it was that a, a government body or not? No, it's a it's a private 501c3 NGO, okay. just like, you know. Based a, in North America. Yep. So they're headquartered. I always love saying this. It was So they're headquartered in New York City and have offices in New York, D.C., Chicago, L.A., San Francisco, Beijing, and Bozeman. Um <laughs> Yeah, and um, Bozeman being the most important place. Clearly. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. It was it was in Livingston when I first for like the first five years, and then we we moved to Bozeman in 2013. But it was a non litigation policy position, policy advocacy position, and um, and and so yeah. So I, I had no idea if I'd get it, but ultimately I got the job, and you know really enjoyed it for a long time. Really great people, important work. But over time, I just. Um, I, I was craving to do something more tangible that you have more control over, like, you know, environmental policy work. You're trying to get other people, typically like state or federal government agencies to do something you have very little control over. It's, 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 it can be a long slog. And, um, we had two kids along the way. There was some work travel involved. So I was just really craving to do something like tangible land-based conservation-based on my own, out of the nonprofit world, you know, something entrepreneurial. And, um, so bison was the big issue I worked on at NRDC all those years. And, um, yeah. And then, and so, so was that your first sort of connect with bison as a species uh, on a deeper kind of level? Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I mean, through your work. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Cause I used to, you know, come out here to, you know, I love, you know, just, you know, fly fishing in Yellowstone parks, like one of the coolest. Why things. would you want to be in Montana and fly fish? Yeah, exactly. That's terrible. Right, right. Exactly. And so, um, <laughs> and so I, you know, drove by bison, but, and I, I guess knew the, the, on a very, very superficial level, the story that like these animals maybe once kind of almost went extinct, but they're still here and they're in Yellowstone, but had no real understanding. But like you drive by them in the park going to fish Slough Creek or the Lamar or Soda Butte mm-hmm. or, or something. And, um, and then it, it was entered, it was at NRDC when I, you know, really started to like, you know, dive deeply into the species and the, and the history and the story. And just, you know, to this day, as we were talking out there, like just endlessly fascinated by them. Um, so yeah, so worked, worked there. And then, um, like literally there was an article in the Bozeman Daily Chronicle in the summer of 2016, about um, the bison industry and that the you know bison industry was growing and they were looking for more producers and I literally read it and and like kind of chuckled to myself thinking like man that would be you know so cool for someone that could do that like yeah. obviously that wouldn't be me like I'm a kid from suburban Chicago like that's just a, and I'm this not- is the commercial meat industry we're talking about yeah this is separate to what I, I imagine because you just mentioned Yellowstone what a lot of people will be thinking will be the the big bison herds in Yellowstone exactly which is not a commercial meat right. operation so, exactly right so so right so Yellowstone or wild bison and then this was talking talking about, you know, bison on ranches, private herds being raised ultimately okay. for meat. Yeah. And, um, and so, yeah, I kind of read the article and 
sort of had a, was like, man, that'd be so cool. But obviously not for me, I'm not qualified to do that. And then like, but like a year, year and a half went by and I can like, just kind of continued to think about it. You just have this niggle there. Yeah. It was just like, like, I've always wanted to own Highland cows. Okay. Yeah. And I'm sure one day when I'm old and I can't travel so much anymore, I'll probably end up doing that. But I've had this desire. (laughs) I don't really know why, because they look cool, I think. Yeah. (laughs) It just, it just was there, you know, like, and, um, and then, uh, and, and, and then in the fall of 2017, I read this book, Buffalo for the Broken Heart by Dan O'Brien, which is okay. this amazing book. Not and, one I know. Yeah, it's incredible. What's and the premise of it? He um, had a, a, a cattle ranch in South Dakota and, uh, can, and, and bought a few bison, started a bison ranch, and... And and it's a memoir, so it's like his own personal story. And he's an he's an amazing writer, and he ultimately founded this this bison ranch and this bison meat business called Wild Idea Buffalo. And he's an absolute hero of mine now. Um, and in the book, he talks about how he's the one that pioneered the process of field harvesting bison, which okay. is instead of shipping them to slaughter with bison, you know, cause they haven't been domesticated. That's like super high stress for bison. Um, to, to be put in the back of a trailer, like, like normal cattle would be and then driven miles, miles. Right. So bison are just, yeah, totally different, super high stress. And, um, and so you just reverse that you, instead of putting them on a truck and shipping them somewhere, you drive out into the pasture and kill them where they're grazing. And I'm a, you know, big meat hunter. Um, and just a passionate food person. And so like, literally when I read that, I had no idea it existed. And that was like an instant. I want, like, I didn't know this existed. I want to do this. And and I know there are people that are going to connect with this. I mean, as a hunter, it's an easy connect for us. If you're someone who's hunted before, because you're field harvesting wild animals all the time. Okay. The bison for agricultural purposes are in fenced areas, but the process is kind of the same. I wonder, um, is there different, um, like legislation and regulation around field harvesting compared to agriculture? Um, Where you're shooting something in the field rather than actually being put down in a, an abattoir. There are there, there, yes, there are there, there's, there's, um, there's, there's ultimately like three different levels of, I guess, uh, how would you say it? Like, like certification, if you will. So there's like federally inspected meat, state inspected meat and then custom exempt meat. And, um, uh, I, I'm, I'm hesitating cause it's like a deep, dark, oh, I imagine, long I, ima- I imagine there's like a yeah. book but so anyways, about but a foot long. Th- the bottom line is that there, and, and, and there are different regulations depending on the species. So okay. like bison actually have different rules and regs than cattle and poultry, which I know very little about have different rules and regs. Um, so yes, th- there are different rules, but it's totally, you know, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's obviously pops possible. It's legal. It's there's, Got there's it. just depending on if, you know, if you're doing it custom exempt, or if you want to ultimately get to a state inspector or federal inspector, there's much more hoops, many more hoops to jump through than shipping it to a slaughterhouse, which is more the standard way of doing it. Okay. And what was, so, so what was the next phase from you realizing, hang on, this is a field harvesting. I connect with this because I hunt and I understand this the system of doing it and, and getting meat off the land to actually owning a herd and having land yourself. Yeah. It, you know, it was, it was, um, a few, I mean, it was a few things. I mean, one was I, 
I had had some like, you know, I just had had this itch for a while of doing something and I'd had other ideas that were either, it was either a bad idea or bad timing or something. And, um, this, this one amazing friend, mentor of mine, Mike Silverman, I'd always run these ideas by Mike and, and, and he would say, um, uh, can I swear? Is that, if you, uh, if, if, yeah. if needed. Okay. So it, for, it normally for, happens. for historical accuracy, <laughs> I need, I need to. And so Mike, Mike would ch- challenge me and say, Hey, you know, like for one of my ideas, he'd be like, he'd be like, I got it. You know, save the earth, save the earth, blah, 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 blah. At the end of the day, you have to make some fucking money. Otherwise you don't have a business, yeah. right? Yeah. Like you yeah. can have the loftiest goals and that, but if it fails, like, you know, yeah. th- you're done without economics. Right. Works. And so, and so, for for like the bison ranch and field harvest, I I felt like, but besides it appealing to me on so many different levels from like a landscape and an animal and all the different things, I felt like there's something here that I think people, I I I I I, I you know I guess I, you know I I thought people would connect with, um and 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 then also like part of it was, um you know in thinking about what I was gonna with with bison ranching, it's like at the end of the day, like we all have to eat. Right. So like, if you had an idea for like something that was like, you know, some really cool, catchy plastic button, like the world doesn't need any more cool, catchy plastic buttons, but we all have to eat and we have billions of people on the planet. And if we're lucky, we get to eat three meals a day. And so food is a necessity. And so it's like that really, I I found that very appealing of like working in the food industry and, and in agriculture. Um, and yeah. So anyway, so, so my wife, Sarah and I, you know, had like some serious heart to hearts about it. And, um, it's a big move. Yeah. And then, so, I mean, this security I'm, and all the rest. Oh of yeah. It. No, no. And so, and, and, but well, part of it was also when this was all getting going, our, our son was, um, he was, he had just turned four and our daughter was, was like, nine, 10 months old. So we, it, it was like, if we're ever going to do something big and risky and crazy, now's the time. Yeah. Like, you know, I was, I was a joke that like, if we did this when they were like, if Otto, our, our son who's older, was like a junior in high school, he'd be like, that sounds great, but like, I'm staying here. So good luck with your yeah. crazy ass idea. <laughs> um, and so it was like, if we're going to do it, now's the time. And so I'm like, not exaggerating at all. Like I literally this is like in early January, 2018, I Googled like bison ranching consultant. Cause I knew, I knew enough to know that I knew like jack shit. Like I didn't know anything. I mean, that's, that is yeah, the, that's, that's, if you've got that knowledge, that's yeah. actually everything's, everything's downhill from there. I, I, I mean, thinking, you know, everything is the problem. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. And so met this amazing guy. And so there turned out to be this guy in Bozeman named Roland Cruz. Amazing guys become an invaluable friend and, um, and, and, and he, so we, we met for lunch and I was, and I, we started talking and he kind of cut me off and was like, look, here, here's the deal. He's like, I teach this holistic management workshop on a bison ranch. You should come to it. And I took it both as like two in two ways. One, it was like, this would be very helpful for you. And also the set was like a test. Like, are you a dreamer or are you real? Are you, are you, are you serious about this? Yeah. Went home, talked to Sarah and she's like, you got to go. You just, you got to do it. And so she doesn't think you're crazy. No, no, I think it's more she knows I'm crazy. Oh, so okay. she's already, like, already, so this, <laughs> this is going to ground you. Yeah, this would be, it was already yeah. like, she just it, it given in and accepted. So, exactly. She yeah. was like, this this could be good for you. Yeah. And um, so went to this four-day workshop with Roland and it was amazing. Just, you know, like, you know, I guess p- pun intended, I just ate it up. Like, you know, grazing, grass, water, 
soil, the whole thing. Um, and came back really, really, really excited. And then, um, yeah. And then we started looking for land. And then I joke like the dream died pretty quickly. It was hard to find land, but then we, we stumbled upon these couple parcels worked, kept putting a business plan together. And, um, and I literally like, uh, joke, but I'm serious that like, I, I was waiting. For, I'd never, like, I call it the bison pipe dream. Cause I just never expected it to actually happen. I was like, I'm just going to keep going. I'm going to keep going, like putting one foot in front of another until someone tells me to stop. But I had this huge insecurity of like, I didn't grow up on a ranch. I didn't grow up ranching. And so I was like, I can't do this. And I was waiting for someone to pull me aside and be like, so did they tell you about X, Y, and Z? <laughs> and I'd be like, oh, there it is. That's I, that was I, the barrier. That, I, didn't I knew know it. About. I knew it. And like, there wasn't, I just, the more, I, I mean, I obviously knew it was a huge leap and we would make mistakes and, and it would be hard and, and, and that sort of thing. But, you know, at the same time, having, having no background in, in formal background in agriculture, there's, there's a, there's a positive to that, which is, you know, you can, there's no, um, you know, but no bad habits to unlearn. There's no, you and know, you probably question everything as well. Yeah. You're just kind of, you're just kind of like for us, you know, we're, we're new. We wear it on our sleeves that we're, you know, new at this. We're not pretending to be third generation Montana ranchers. And we just say, you know, like what's best for the land, the animal and the business, let's do that. And, um, so we ultimately, we found the land, we got it under contract, continued to work on a business plan, started, you know, toured a couple of bison ranchers, developed some more mentors. And it just like, and even then like was kind of holding it loosely. Cause I was like, I just don't, you know, at some point this is going to like fall apart and then it didn't. And so here we are. And it's still going. And Tyler, when did, when did you first find out about Matt? So I think I, it probably was, it was definitely on Instagram and I just through mutual friends, I started to see it pop up and I think somebody had done, might've been, did Stetson do a story? Uh, a boot barn. Okay. So it was something like that. And, but it was Kelly Beavers who was like, you got to go uh, meet Matt. She's the best. Yeah. And so, you know, what I think is really interesting also, cause I, as you know, live on a traditional cattle ranch. And so I also heard your name from, you know, the family that owns that ranch as, you know, people, younger generation who have been subjected to and passed down that traditional, often very hard line ranching lifestyle. Now some people are starting to think, okay, well, maybe there's another way. And to hear about what you're doing, because one of, one of the, some of those ranches in our area, they have out of state landowners that they're having to collaborate with who want to have bison there. So now they were being subjected to these ideas. And so I think that that's where it gets really interesting. And so I'd love to, I'd love for you to talk a little bit more and, and tell Byron about beyond just the, the bison herd and the meat production, what you're trying to do philosophically with creating an interface between people having, you having come from an urban environment and, and creating that relationship with food. Yeah, no, would love to. And I mean, first, I, I, I always I just I, I want to just point out like, so our 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 neighbors were are all multi generation yeah. cattle ranchers. And like, they're amazing. Yeah, like, amazing people. Yeah, amazing ranchers. Like, I mean, just they're I mean, and, um, you, you know, you just um, I know on a podcast, you've explained what you're doing. I'm looking around out here at their land and it's, yeah, it's, it's spectacular. Gorgeous. They're just like, it's and so this, you know, 
one thing, like there's a saying now that I really like, which is it's it's not the cow, it's the how. Yeah. And so it's, you know, because there's some people that think like- Old, ca- cow, old cows are evil. Yeah. They think cattle that's, are bad. I mean, that's the common narrative. Absolutely. Across and, the planet these right, days. Right. And nothing could be further from the truth. And people think that bison are these magical unicorns that, you know, are, <laughs> are perfect. And that's why that saying is so great because it comes down to management, right? Like you can have amazing cattle ranches, like all of our neighbors here, um, and you can have- bad bison ranches or vice versa. Like it's, 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 it comes down to management. So I just, um, one of the coolest parts and most rewarding parts of this experience has been getting to know our neighbors and, um, you know, seeing their operations, how hard they work, the amazing ranchers they are. And we're, uh, just super, super grateful for that. And, um, and I, yeah, because of that narrative, I I just always want to point that out that like that, that, that cattle there is, yeah, the exact opposite. They're not evil. They're, they're, they're cattle are great. You know, they're, they're, um, if done right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and same with bison. Bison can be great if done right. And bison can be horrible, you know, can be horrible for the land if done wrong. Um, which, which goes very much against the let's, um, stop having any kind of beef and meat production. Let's just all eat. I don't know, lettuce. Right, right. I mean, so, yeah, so that's a good segue to Tyler's question and what you were saying, which is, you know... Um, Let's take the gloves off. <laughs> we're well, down with that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, I mean, obviously, um, I, I think it's fair to say that, the, like, the, the popular narrative being presented and put forward by the general media and public is that, you know, meat is bad, plant-based is good, right? We have meatless Mondays. Epicurious said they're going to no longer publish um, beef recipes. 11 Madison Park, one of the fanciest restaurants in the world, just went vegan. Um, You know, I mean, it's just constant, right? And um, I mean, I chuckle in the grocery store when I see like very obviously plant-based foods with a giant plant-based logo on it, you know, (laughs) and you're like, like, oh, like, was that bread like is there is there a is there a species of is there an animal that they make bread from like um but it's this like knee jerk if i slap plant based right that means it's good it's good for the environment right and and because it's not meat because meat is bad yeah and it's this ridiculous default position that right have. and and yeah. and the science it would that keep keeps coming out and like is showing us that nothing could be further from the truth and that like everything in life it's very nuanced and, um, and so like, you know, just, just take animal, right? Like here we are in Montana, the Western United States and a landscape that evolved with, you know, millions of grazing animals, bison, elk, deer, pronghorn for thousands of years. So removing animals from this landscape is completely unnatural. Um, and you know, the thing about regenerative agriculture that, is I find so exciting is there's this soil scientist, Nicole Masters, who says she hates the word sustainable because sustain to, su- some, to sustain something is just to keep it as is. Yeah, save the quote. Yeah, regenerate, to, to, but to regenerate something is to make it better. Mm-hmm. And um, I was saying earlier, the way, you know, we've had some, you know, uh, like high school kids come out to the ranch and I'll say, so um, in about an hour, I'm going to go out and shoot a bison in the head with a rifle. And that, that sounds crazy. Sounds pretty brutal. Sounds pretty brutal and intense. But I'll make the case to you that, and let's just let this soak in and we'll talk about it after, but that that what I'm going to do is more ethical, humane, and environmentally friendly than the average broccoli you find at your grocery store. And they look at me like, this guy's completely nuts. Um, He's crazy. I hate broccoli anyway, <laughs> but this <Yeah>. man's crazy. <laughs> but it's, it's, you know, but 
you could take any example, but like, you know, the, 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 let's say broccoli, if you're raising broccoli on a commercial scale, like you're at war with everything that wants to eat your broccoli, which is all sorts of stuff. And out here we're, we, you know, the more bugs and worms and bees and, you know, and you're not fighting nature here. No, it's that's, that's the, exactly. That's like yeah. r- ranching. You're working in sync with nature. Right, like you're, which might sound like very grandiose, and people, yeah, of course he's going to say that, but it's legit. Like that is what's happening here. It's so, it's so unlike most of agriculture that exists. Right. I mean, I just think like if regenerative agriculture is very, you know, it's a hot buzzword right now, and I, I think, I mean, it's, um, I'm not a farmer, never been a farmer, but, but I think it's much easier, or I, I just think. Um, yeah, I think it's easier to, to, to achieve regenerative goals on, on a ranch than it would be on, at a, again, in an economically viable way on a commercial, you know, than, than, than at a corn farm or, uh, whatever, you know, to take, take your, um, insert your fruit or vegetable. And so, and so, you know, you, when you start to peel back the onion, right. And you like give that, I give that kind of example to like kind of an extreme example, like, wow, oh my God, what, how can you even say that? But then you look at like the monoculture farming in the Midwest, you know, that, that is the, like soy, corn, and wheat. It's the backbone of the plant-based industry. And, um, you know, these are unbelievably environmentally destructive practices, right? We're losing topsoil every year. The soil that's there is dead. Um, and you know, that's the, the runoff has created a dead zone in the Gulf of Mexico, the size of New Jersey some years. Um, I mean, they're ecological deserts, right? The soil's dead. There's no life there. And I always joke, like, you know, if you think, if, if you think nothing died in the creation of the vegan (laughs) burger, you know, I have, I have an oceanfront (laughs) condo in St. Louis that you got to take a look at because, you know, besides all the wildlife habitat that's been destroyed and, 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 and the, you know, all the other stuff we talked about, um, when the combine comes out to harvest the corn or the soy or the wheat, like if there is a rabbit or a bird in there, like they're not dodging it. Right. So we've coined this phrase, eat with your eyes wide open. Cause we're all, we all have an impact, right? Whether it's through the food we eat or the clothes we wear, none of us are perfect. Obviously we're <laughs> far from it. Um, but I mean, the, your beard's pretty dumb. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but this idea that, you know, it's like this idea that like killing an animal is a bad thing and, and it's wrong, but it's, I mean, it's one, it flies in the face of everything, right? Like history, evolution, nature, life, like, um, and, and you can't like, there, uh, there's this woman, I think her name is Diana Rogers. She has a podcast, sustainable dish, but she writes a lot about this stuff and she has just, and she just wrote a book called sacred cow. I haven't read it yet, but um, oh, I've seen the book, but I haven't read it either. Yeah, yeah. But she has really good, you know, messaging around this, just, just like really thoughtful, you know, things that make you think, right. Like you just, that like a lot about like life and death. You can't, you know, you can't have life without death and you can't eat food without spilling blood. And, and, and so, um, and so anyway, so seeing this messaging constantly about eat plant-based, eat plant-based and this idea that like plant-based is good and meat is bad. Um, it's just, it, it's been driving me crazy because, you know, not while we see, you know, species like bees and butterflies tanking and like a huge impact for that is farming. Yeah. Um, and so like environmental groups that are, that are saying eat plant-based for the planet. And then, this, and then, the, and then, and then the next day it's help us save the bees and the butterflies. It's like, you just want to like, you know, grab your hair and pull it out. Cause it's like, 
you know, uh, here in this area on, on, on these ranches, like they're teeming with bees and butterflies and teeming with life. Cause and, you have an intact ecosystem. Yes. And, and we're, we're not, pl- we're not plowing up the, we're not plowing up the land to plant corn and, you know, spray the living daylights out of it and then harvest it and then have a bunch of the soil disappear. Like we're building, we're building topsoil. We're providing wildlife habitat for all sorts of stuff, us and our neighbors. And, um, and I just think, you know, I mean, that's reality. That's what, ha- that's what's happening. But this, this plant-based, the, the, the plant-based narrative is, um, you know, it's such a great story, right? Like you can go to whole foods, buy your impossible burger. It's made of unicorn dust and rainbows it's going to make everything go away. Nothing was harmed in making it. And it feels great. The only problem is it's just not true. It's bullshit. And, um, so it's just something we're really passionate about because we just see this narrative. It keeps going and going and going. Mm-hmm. And like really, you know, people with really big platforms are, are continuing to say it. And like, I have two kids. I think like, if we think that, you know, vegan burgers are going to save the planet, we're screwed. And, and what I'm <laughs> <laughs> that sums that up. <laughs> but what I'm hearing here, like again and again, is look, we're talking about bison, but really your focus is it's the land, it's the soil, it's the grass, yeah. it's the biodiversity, it's the ecosystem. The bison being here is like is what makes that economically viable. Oh right, yeah. That's but the I, focus is all the other stuff that they walk on. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's the how, not the cow. It's um, or it's not the cow, it's the how. Whatever, whatever the saying is. You're absolutely right. You know, it's like we talked about earlier the way you know, like the really great ranchers have been doing this a long time. Like they say, they're grass farmers, right? Like at the end yeah. of the day, yeah. You, we have this, we you know, we have this amazing thing, grass that takes sunlight, soil, and water, and it's th- magic. Yes. And then I, and I always say this and it's the truth. And then we have animals, whether it's, you know, uh, f- whether there's wild animals like elk and, and moose or, or what, or deer or what have you, or, or, or bison or, or, or animals in this case on, you know, livestock, whether it's bison or cattle that have these magical stomachs that can not just like exist and survive on grass, but like thrive. Yeah. And on it grass. tastes damn good. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> the it's, very, oh, oh, and it's very good for you. Yeah. Super nutrient dense. It's, ext- it's extremely healthy. And, um, and, and, and it's perfect. Like this, this process has been going on for millennia. Well, what I thought was really interesting earlier when we were out there with your herd was how you were talking about that the bison intuitively there, is it the rumen? Yeah. 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 That they, Will graze on what did you say? How many species of grass? Well, it's just, on? it's, I mean, so there's this um, scientist, Fred Provenza, I'm reading his book, Nourishment, right now, and it's fascinating. It's, and it's again, not whether it's bison or cattle or goats or sheep or elk, whatever, but these animals, they, they're finding that while, you know, while maybe the majority of their diet might be, say, a handful of grasses one day, they might, but they might be eating or they're eating, say, 80, 90 different species over the course of the day. Like a little bite here, a little bite there, depending on what they need, what their stomach needs, what their, you know, their stomachs and, you know, the bacteria and the rumen and all of that stuff. And so, yeah, it's like, it's the land, biodiversity, all, all those different things. And bison are what we're using and what are or what's happening here. But our neighbors are doing it with cattle. You could you can do it with cattle. I mean, it's, it's um, we we do it with bison. I, I love bison. I think they're you know they're super cool. Um, but yeah, I I'm, appreciate you pointing that out because it's that it's all that other stuff that's um, you know that is so important and and, and that is what it's the it, that's what's at the root of all this stuff. And and that's being completely missed 
um, in this narrative that plant-based is good. One of the things, many, one of the many things that's being missed about this narrative that plant-based is good, meat is bad. And this isn't just about, and this is to your point about sustainable earlier, this isn't just about keeping a landscape in this kind of neutral state. This is actually benefiting the landscape. Sure. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, the, the, you know, um, research coming out showing the potential for, you know, there's incredible potential for grasslands to, uh, store carbon, sequester carbon, suck carbon out of the atmosphere. Most people think of forests, but, and there are, you know, carbon markets developing and, you know, like big companies looking at grasslands of how they can offset their carbon footprint. I think they think some of the grasslands could be more, more than the above ground biomass. Right. And, and so, um, so, so yeah, so it's, it's, in, you know, that, that's right. I mean, there you go. You're mitigating climate change through, 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 you know, grassland grazing. To your point about people's connection with food though, you were telling me something really fascinating about how your operation works with your customer base and like, like sending them pictures. Like, like explain to me, I'm, I'm coming to you. I want to get some bison. What do I do? How do I do it? What's the process? Because I think that whole journey, and it really is a journey, is fascinating and really does connect people with food, even if they're not physically taking it off the land themselves. Sure, sure. I mean, so like I said, I mean, we you know, we're very passionate about what we do. And part of our mission is connecting people to where their food comes from and all the stuff we already talked about with the impacts we have and eating with your eyes wide open. And so for us, we sell direct to consumer. We sell, you know, to individuals, families, and the way it works is we, 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 we sell custom exempt. So we technically pre-sell live animals to, let's just say two people, each of them gets a half a bison. So we pre-sell the animal, I go out, I field harvest the animal, um, I field dress it, and then I take it to our processor where it's ultimately dry aged and then cut, wrapped, boxed, frozen, and then we either deliver it or ship it. Um, But yeah, a day or two after I um, field harvest the animal, or or the day of, when I, I I take a picture of the herd when I'm driving out there. And then after I kill the bison, I take a picture of the bison on the ground, nothing gory, you know, bloody, just, but, but a very obvious, a picture of a dead bison on the ground. Um, and then take a third picture at the processor after it's been skinned and cut, uh, sawed down the backbone, split in half, uh, one, one side, shoulder side out, the other side, rib side out. And then I'll email the two customers or four customers and say, you know, yesterday I field harvested your bison on the ranch. It was a beautiful day or, you know, it was, or it was a snowstorm and you know, whatever. Um, it's Montana. Which is six yeah. months of the year. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. They joke that Montana is nine months of winter and three months of friends and family um, or, or nine months of winter and three months of road construction. Yep. Um, yep. And, uh, and, and it's now, it's now dry aging at Amsterdam meat shop and I'll get in touch once it's ready, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, it's been really cool to see, um, you know, what's the reaction be? You know, it's interesting. I mean, some people don't, you know, I mean, some people, uh, don't reply, so I I don't know. Uh, but, but, um, many people, I mean, some people have replied and saying like, Hey, I have like tears in my eyes right now. I've never felt so connected to my food and like, I've never really engaged with food like this or thought about it like this. And, um, and, and, or some people are just like, wow, this is really cool and looks amazing. Like I cannot wait to get my hands on that. Um, and so, yeah, for us, it's just like, you know, I, I, we, you know, I worked for an environmental group for 10 years, very passionate environmentalist and conservationist. And it just, there's a, I, I, 
there's just a lot of BS out there. And, and so our, our, we just, we, we feel strongly about, like I, I keep coming back to it, like eat with your eyes wide open. Like we're going to have an impact. Let's be honest and intentional about it. And but let's minimize the impact we have by understanding how we're consuming. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so that, that's, 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 that's part of what we do. Tyler, why, why do you think it's important for stories like this to be told or for, for the modern huntsman family to like tell these kind of stories? Cause this isn't a hunting story. Yeah. A rifle is being used, but it's, it's an agricultural story, but this it wouldn't traditionally be the kind of conversation or stories that a hunting publication, for example, like an old school hunting publication would engage in. Sure. And I, I think we've, I mean, we've even had friends who've said, why the hell are you having a story about ranching and a hunting publication? Because ultimately it's about conservation and land use, right? Hunting's not possible if we don't get that right. And so I think that these are extensions of that. And by doing what you're doing and improving the land and not only being a part of the land, but, you know, it, it, like I said, improving it, you're making those hunting opportunities potentially more successful, you know, the land is, it's, it's a legacy kind of thing, but I think that it, it trickles out from there. And I think that there's, you know, a big part of Modern Huntsman, why we chose that word was because centuries ago, being a hunter meant way more than just pursuing wild game. It meant knowing the land, having woodcraft, living in symbiosis, all of those kinds of things. And now in, in a current, you know, in modern day, there's so many people and we all have such an impact that it's important to understand and hear from the people who are actually out there doing these things. And there's not a lot of, I don't want to say, there's not a lot of intelligent discourse around this compared to what you hear about the the plant-based exactly, stuff. Exactly. Right, right? right. And so the fact that you guys are out here doing this, and this is a, a fairly remote part of Montana. I mean, you know, and so I think that you guys have a great platform, right? You have great messaging, but at the same time to be able to help point to the good examples, you know, in, in all cases and in, in food sourcing. And I think that that's a, kind of a responsibility as a, a conservationist and as, as a hunter and as a human really to make responsible choices and, and do that in, you know, investigation and, and research yourself rather than just listen to the bullshit you see on Facebook or Instagram or any of those kinds of things. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if I really answered the question, but you know, I, I, I think you did. I mean, obviously I've thought about it as well. Yeah. And my view is that there are my personal view in terms of conservation is there's a lot of, different groups of people doing a lot of different things and we need to hear what each other has to say more often <clears throat> because often it's like the farmers have their conversations the hunters go and have their conversations the people are looking after the waterways they go and do their conservation work but actually it's all integrated because it's an integrated landscape and the more that we can integrate uh, conservation measures and management decisions across the landscape, the more chance we have of actually preserving and making it better and restoring some of the colossal screw-ups we've made in the past. But you can't do it in silos. And I see that at, when I'm hunting at home, all the places that I hunt at home close to my house, it's all farmland. It's all used for cattle and sheep, a little bit of agriculture. So I'm having conversations with farmers every day. And it's maybe a little bit different um, in the public lands like out here that don't have farmland on it. So you have the great privilege of being in these 
you know, very much to, to a greater or lesser extent untouched areas from in terms of, well, it's not that obvious how they've been touched. But a lot of the world is not like that. And so I, I think that these collaborative approaches are so important. And to, to make them happen, you have to understand them. And oh, that's yeah. why I think like integrating this within the conversations that we have in hunting and fishing and just being somebody who's intrigued by the outdoors is so important because this is the landscape we exist in and people do need to exist in it. Uh, absolutely. No. And, and because and, there's a lot of us. Right. And so exactly, exactly. And so it's like, how are we going to do it? Right. It's not, yeah. it's, it's uh, like my favorite quote is, you know, as a vision without execution is hallucination. And, um, so basically just being high. Well, no, but it's like, but it's, but it's like, you know, I, I, I wish that my truck ran on air or, yeah. or, or water. It, it doesn't, I got to put yeah. gas in it. Right. And I got to pay for it. Like there's lots of things we can wish, but like, can you make it happen? And can you, can, can you, can you fulfill that? And so, um, yeah, I, I, I so I couldn't agree more. Like we have to be realists about it and, and, and how can we, I also loved your point about, um, yeah, I couldn't agree more. We have to like think on a bigger level and get like, like those siloed conversations that doesn't work at all. And then even out here, like I'm a public land nut. I like backcountry hunters and anglers. I love that group and I love hunting public lands. Um, but through this experience, when you hear about it, but like for us, I mean, and, and we're, a, I mean, obviously a very, 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 very small ranch. Um, but I have a, so, such a greater appreciation for, you know, um, because uh, there, you know, there can be some public-private conflict, at, you know, in, in Montana at times. Um, but like, you know, how many millions, you know, I'm a, whatever, hundreds of thousands of ungulates, wild ungulates, you know, elk, mule deer, white-tailed deer, pronghorn, etc., are private lands supporting yeah. at times of the year, right? Like, you know, like where you're hunting elk it's important. In, in September, like it looks very different in January, and so it they you. You, that's just the perfect example. You have to have both, right? Like you have to have the, you know, the public land here, at least. I, I mean, the public lands are awesome and amazing because it allows anyone, right? To just go out and hike or hunt where, how they want to. Um, but the private lands, you know, like particularly you look at Bozeman and the, and the growth of Montana. It's like every other week, there's an article in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Forbes about the growth, but it's a very real thing. Like this place is exploding with people. And like you said, it's like, are we, you know, how are we, how are we going to plan for this and deal with it so that we have healthy, vibrant wildlife populations? Um, and if you're just talking public lands or just talking private lands, like it's not going to work. You have to talk about both of them, how they intersect, how they work together, that, that sort of thing. So what's the future for your business? Where, where, are, you, where are you headed? How's, that, how's it going to change? How's it going to evolve? You know, I, 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 something, it's something we've, 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 what given, do you dream? You, you know, <laughs> <laughs> we, it's something we've talked about, uh, 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 Sarah and I talk about a fair amount because we've had, you know, a couple different opportunities, you know, over the past few years come up and, and it's forced us to think about stuff and it, and it, and we've really, uh, it's helped solidify our, like w we do two things here, or, or I would say we try to do two things really well, which is raise bison as well. And as in sync with nature as possible. And then number two, provide amazing, amazing meat. And that's our focus. Like we, 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 we are very clear that like, that's our, that's our North star. That's what we're doing. That's where we're putting our, our energy. And so, you know, if, 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 
I guess my dream would be for us to continue doing what we're doing and focusing on those two things and having it go well. Um, and that's it. Like we, you know, that, that, those, the, like th- those are the two things we want to do. Well, I think I would, I would add to that and what I would hope to see given some of the conversations I've had with other people with the similar, not similar problem, but in the sense that I forget what the exact statistic is, but it, it was something very high, like 80 to 90% of the meat that's served in Montana schools is not from Montana. And that is strictly because of a a local processing and distribution problem. So I know that's something that you've got on your mind is trying to have a local processing facility that could not only streamline your business and your ability to process bison for your customers, but that could also serve the local community and, and local ranchers to process beef so they don't have to ship it off to one of the two or three big places in the United States that jack the price up and take all the margins. So um, maybe maybe touch on that because I think as an outsider, that would be something I would love to see and that I think would be really well received. Oh yeah, no, pr- processing has been such a, uh, you know, particularly, you know, c- COVID shined a bright light on the, you know, how fragile our food system is and, you know, the, the problems with, with the food industry, exactly what you just said, that like, there's like, four companies that control something like 80% of the beef in That's this country. Insane. Yeah. yeah. And, and absolutely to the detriment of ranchers in Montana. Absolutely. Uh, like in a huge way. And there's like, I mean, they're now antitrust investigations yep. and like there's, I mean, I think we'll, we'll see what happens, but um, so it's, it's a completely broken system. And, and so, yeah, I think if we, you know, more, more processing opportunities in Montana for those that want them would be awesome. And um, we, I've, yeah, been involved in a lot of different conversations about that. And we, we, we're, we're kind of all over the map of what, of where we might go with, with, with something like that. Um, but we're, we're, we're lucky that, that, I mean, we're really lucky, like, like, um, here in this area, cause we have lots of great processors, but I have a friend who's, um, you know, um, has a, has a beef operation, grass fed beef operation up in like Northern Montana. And it's like a really difficult, like if you look at how to, you know, try to do direct to consumer or retail, um, like there's just a lot of logistical barriers to that. Um, so that's, yeah, that's another thing. I mean, I I think ultimately for me, I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about ranching and, and I guess, you know, um, honest messaging around food. And, 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 and those are things I'm really passionate about. Matt, I am so incredibly excited to have the opportunity to come back here someday and watch a field harvest. I'm sad that it's probably not going to happen while I'm still here in Montana. But when I come back next time, we, Tyler and I are going to have to put that in the calendar and yep. block that day off. Because I, I would really love to see the process from start to finish right through the abattoir. Because I think it's, it's, it's amazing what you guys are doing here. Well, I, uh, open invitation. That would be awesome. I, w- I would love it. So let's make it happen. Well, thank you for taking us around today. And thank you for coming on the podcast. Oh, this has been great. Thank you, guys. I absolutely love what you guys do. And this has been, yeah, I really appreciate it. Cheers, Matt.